Hello, and welcome to Stories from the World podcast series, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. This is David Robert Farmery. I apologize if I sound a bit nasally this morning, but it is in fact the case. This week's episode, titled Bud Long Break, came out of a bit of reminiscing that I did last night after not being able to sleep. I'd actually fallen asleep, and then two and a half hours later, I wakened, I tossed and turned, unable to go back to sleep, and being the resourceful person that I am, I decided to go out into the living room, pour a glass of Beaujolais, settle down into my recliner, and read a book. The book that I decided to read is Travels with Charlie in Search of America by John Steinbeck. I had picked it up a while back, probably about six or seven months ago, at the recommendation of a good friend. I read it for a while and then put it down until now. I have to admit that when I first did pick up the book and I saw the title, especially the subtitle, In Search of America, I had a bit of an anxiety attack because I thought, oh my gosh, here's another person, another writer, this time a famous writer, going off in search of America. Is this going to be exactly what I've been doing? Fortunately, for me at least, his approach was completely different than mine is. After reading through a dozen pages or so and continuing to sip periodically on my Beaujolais, I closed the pages of the book once again because my mind began to wander. I began reminiscing about the stories, about the experiences that I have had thus far while working on my project in search of America. In a somewhat fluid motion, I put down the book and simultaneously picked up my laptop. I felt the need to write, but not so much writing the story or writing the words of the book, but flushing out the thoughts that were going through my head. Some of them were actually questions that needed answered. As each of the questions got answered, my thoughts then turned to the reminiscing of the experiences and the stories and the people that I have met along the way. On a very short pathway of mental processing, my thoughts and recollections settled on a dear, dear friend of mine, Bud Longbreak, and how our friendship came to be. And it is that story that is the topic of this week's episode. But this episode is not just a story about the building of a friendship. It is, and I believe even more importantly, a story about conversation, and listening without judgment to one another. To give you a little background, Bud Longbreak is a world bronc riding champion. At one point, his portrait graced the cover of Sports Illustrated, and throughout the rodeo world, Bud Longbreak's name is synonymous with greatness. It was actually my wife that brought the two of us together. For some reason, still unbeknownst to me, she thought that the two of us should know one another. Admittedly, she was correct. But if ever there were two polar opposites, it was Bud and me. Our initial meeting was actually in the parking lot of, I think it was either the post office or the utility company in Faith, South Dakota. It was a matter of he was out running errands, I was out making photographs, we were playing phone tag with our cell phones, 
and we finally found one place that we could both be at the same time, and it happened to be that parking lot. After we had both exited our vehicles, I walked over and introduced myself to Bud, reached out to shake his hand, and I have to admit that his response to me was one of great trepidation. As I had found out some time later, he really had no interest in meeting me at all. In fact, his thing was, I must have some kind of an agenda if I want to meet him. In all fairness to Bud, however, once he saw or realized the effort that I went through just to try to find a place to hook up with him, out of respect for me and that effort, he was willing to at least talk for a little bit. I told him up front about the project that I was working on, the In Search of America project, and said that I would like to make a photograph, a portrait of him for that project. Now to try and set the scene of this conversation a little bit better visually for you, let me just give you a little description of Bud Longbreak. First of all, Bud is a man of very, very few words. And when he does speak, he's very soft-spoken. Also, Bud always has a toothpick stuck in his mouth, either in one corner or the other, and it moves constantly when he does talk. And Bud's personality, it's still like that of a teenager. As our conversation evolved, we finally began talking about rodeo. And this is where our conversation not only got very, very interesting, but where I first realized the deep integrity of this man. At one point, in response to something that he had said to me, I replied that I had never photographed rodeo and I had never even watched rodeo because really and truly I felt that rodeo was one of the most inhumane things on the planet. With most people of Bud's background, this would have brought our conversation and our future relationship to an immediate halt. But instead, Bud paused for a few minutes. He lowered his head in deep thought. The toothpick even stopped moving in his mouth. And finally, slowly he raised his head and he looked back at me directly and said, Fair enough. Then he asked me this question. What are you doing tomorrow morning? My response to his question was, I really have nothing that I can't change around. He told me to be at his ranch at 8 a.m. the next morning. He said that I would have the opportunity to look at any or all of his horses as closely as I wanted to. And if I saw any signs of abuse or mistreatment, that I was free to point it out to him. And we could continue the discussion from there. It turns out that now that Bud no longer competes, he raises Bronx for the rodeo. After driving the back roads of South Dakota and then navigating Bud Long Breaks nine mile long, unpaved and shall I say unmaintained driveway, I arrived at his house by 8 a.m. Bud was already in the corral working with the horses, getting ready to take them to the rodeo in a couple of days. As I approached near to the corral, Bud opened the wide metal gate and invited me to come in. 
As I entered, I was immediately surrounded by horses. I don't know, there were 12, 15, 18. I couldn't count because they were all so close to where I was standing. And don't be misled by this statement. It wasn't as if I walked into the corral and the horses all came over to greet me. No, not at all. These horses, these broncs, are as close to wild horses as any horse could be. What my presence in the corral did do, however, is to create a mass motion of horses where the pecking order was established and the alpha male made his presence known to me. In no time at all, not only was I surrounded by horses in motion, but they were passing me within inches. There were even times where one or several would come in contact with me as they passed. I have to admit that I had never before in my entire life experienced such a primal feeling. As the herd finally settled, I was able to walk through the corral looking at each horse up close. On a couple of the horses, I noticed that there were marks on their neck and they seemed somewhat raw. Of course, I pointed this out to Bud. And Bud, being Bud, he told me without any condescension whatsoever that these marks were actually caused by the other horses. It was part of the process of choosing the alpha male within the herd. After spending nearly 20 minutes inside the corral, walking from one horse to another, and I must admit making photographs, there were no signs of abuse whatsoever. At that point, Bud informed me that he had to go to the far end of his 600-acre ranch to check on a horse that he thought might be sick. He invited me to go along. We climbed into his side-by-side 4x4 and headed out across the rolling terrain. After several minutes of driving, or in my case riding, I saw off on the horizon another herd of horses. And as we drew closer, I noticed that one, a white one, was laying on the ground on her side. As we saw the horse laying there, Bud's concern grew even greater, and he was relatively certain as to what the problem was. He tried to explain it to me, something about the intestines or something in the digestive tract getting twisted around, and what he needed to do was to get the horse up and walking around trying to get this to untangle itself naturally. Bud quickly brought the four-wheeler to a stop, climbed out, and ran over to the horse. And then he struggled for quite some time to get the horse to come up on all fours and begin walking around. As I watched this scenario unfold, I became acutely and even surprisingly aware of just how much he cared about the horse. Watching him in the field was like watching him with one of his children who had become deathly ill. And it dawned on me in that very moment that there is no way in hell that Bud would ever allow any type of inhumanity to be brought upon any of his horses. After getting the horse up and walking around for a bit, we drove back to the house. At this point, it had been several hours since I originally arrived. Once back at the house, Bud and I spend a fair amount of time talking, 
talking about what I had seen and not seen, what I had experienced, what I thought, what I felt, on and on. And then he invited me to the rodeo that weekend. He said, well, if you like what you saw here, but you're still not convinced, why don't you come to the rodeo? There you can get as close to the horses as you want. And again, if you see any signs of abuse, feel free to point them out. I accepted. As I was getting ready to call it a day and head back home, Bud said to me, David, I have a favor to ask. Sure, Bud, what is it? Well, for years, I have wanted to see a photograph of my horses running where there are no fences to be seen in the photograph. And I want to call it No Fences. Bud went on to tell me about the impetus for his concept of this photograph. He said that back in the days of his ancestors, and Bud, by the way, is native Lakota, he said that when his ancestors were on this land, that there were no fences anywhere. The land was just open, but now fences are everywhere. Without hesitation, I happily agreed to make the photograph. I said, you know what, let's just figure out a day and a time to do this. I'll come out and that's what we'll do. Bud paused and kind of looked at me in the way that Bud tends to do. The toothpick, of course, stopped moving again. And he said, well, I kind of thought we could do it today. He then explained why. He said that later that afternoon, he had to bring all of his horses in from the range and put them back in the corral. The next morning, he would load them all into trailers so that they could be transported to Rapid City, South Dakota, for the rodeo. He further stated that this would be the perfect, the ideal opportunity to make this photograph. I said, sure, let's give it a go. He then asked if I had ever driven a four-wheeler. I said, eh, no, but I've driven motorcycles most of my life, and they only have two wheels, so surely I can drive one with four. He pointed to one just across the way. While I grabbed additional camera gear and a tripod, he started up the four-wheeler to let it warm up a bit before we started our journey back out across the prairie. Just before taking off, he gave me the final instructions. He said, look, just follow me. We'll get to a point, I'll stop, you stop, and then that's where you'll stay to photograph the horses. It sounded simple enough to me. As we traversed the terrain at a relatively high speed, up hills, down hills, in through little gullies around this obstacle, around that obstacle, avoiding this, avoiding that, bumping over this, bumping over that, I became acutely aware of why people say four-wheelers can be a bit dangerous. But I have to admit, it was exciting as hell. I was truly off on one of life's great and thrilling adventures. I was now back to living the life of the photographer that I lived for decades, day in and day out, moment by moment, constantly. And here it was again. Within the first mile, I had settled in completely to maintaining control of this vehicle. I had learned its nuances and how it responded to every divergence within this landscape. And with each following moment, the thrill of this adventure only got better and better. Dang, sorry, I got caught up in the moment and I digressed. 
After about 15 minutes of riding, Bud came to an abrupt stop. I pulled up beside him, we shut the engines off, and dismounted the four-wheelers. Directly in front of me was a barbed wire fence, but fortunately the strands were separated enough that I could put a camera lens between them. But just on the other side of the fence, the landscape was completely open. It was open as far as the eye could see straight ahead, as far as the eye could see to the left and to the right. But as one looked to the right, the landscape gradually increased in height and altitude until it reached a horizon line at the top. Before climbing back onto his four-wheeler, Bud left me with one final set of instructions. They seemed simple enough at the time. He said, okay, you wait here. You'll know when we're coming because you'll hear me. I'm thinking, okay, he's on a four-wheeler. Surely I'll hear that as he's approaching. So Bud takes off. He vanishes into the distance. I get a vantage point. I decide which lens I need to use. But of course, I have no idea what to expect and exactly where the horses will be. So I don't know. So I set up three cameras and I have different lenses on each camera. And I position myself on the ground on my knees and I wait. I assume that since Bud took off in the direction to my right, that that's the direction he would be coming from with the horses. What I didn't know, however, is how close the horses would be to me as they ran past. After all, the distance between me and the horizon in front of me seemed endless. It had to be at least several hundred yards, hence the need for a few different focal lengths of lenses. So there I waited, and waited, and waited. 10 minutes went by, 15 minutes went by, 20 minutes went by, and still, no bud, no horses. Then I heard the distant rumble of thunder, and I thought, oh no, damn it, don't bring a storm in now, please, the light is perfect. And I look up at the sky, and the sky was completely cloudless except for one small wispy white cloud. And then my eyes shifted back to the horizon line at my right, and I saw it break with a herd of horses. I realized that when Bud said, you'll hear us coming, he wasn't talking about the four-wheeler. He was talking about the horses. The horizon line at the top of the landscape grade was about a mile away, but once the horses broke that horizon line, it was a matter of seconds, it seemed, until they were passing by me. As quickly as I could, I grabbed the camera with the focal length lens that I thought most appropriate, and I made the photograph. The horses passed me at such a fast pace that I only had time to get off two frames. But what really blew me away is as they came by, I could feel the thunder of their hoofs on the ground, radiating through the ground, up through my knees, through my legs, and into my chest. I could not only hear this thunderous noise, but I could feel it. And it was the most primal feeling I have ever had in my life. Even more, far more primal feeling than when I walked into the corral and was surrounded by the horses earlier that morning. In that very moment, I was reliving a scene that could have taken place 
100, 200, 500 years ago, it was no different. These horses, again, as I had mentioned earlier, these horses are as close to being wild horses as any horse could be. And in this moment, they were running as fast and as free as they possibly could. It was beyond any words I can use to truly describe it. And in those few moments, from the time they crested the hill until they passed and were out of sight to my left, was a time that truly changed my life forever. Early the following morning, I returned to Bud's ranch to photograph them loading the horses into the trailers. Then, driving my own vehicle, I followed the caravan to Rapid City into the rodeo arena where I then photographed them unloading the horses, which was another experience in and of itself. For the next three days, I photographed the rodeo championships. Early on, I began to photograph the rodeo from the far side of the arena, the side that is opposite of the gates where the horses come out. This tends to be the most common place for photographers to hang out, and I soon realized that it was kind of sterile, it was normal, it was just producing the same images that one always sees from a rodeo. Also, I realized that I was missing the opportunity to see the horses up close, to see if, again, there was any sign of inhumanity. But I must be honest here that, by this point, I had trusted in Bud. I believed in what he had said. And also, the photographer in me, by this point, had really taken over. So I instead used the benefit of having Bud's influence to allow me to get close to do just that. So I used this access to search out new vantage points, vantage points that would allow me photographically to better show, to better illustrate the, the, the intensity and the ferocity of this sport. What I soon became keenly aware of is that, yes, there was an element of inhumanity in this sport, but the inhumanity had nothing to do with the animals. It had to do with the riders. And I do not make this statement lightheartedly. One of the first things that I witnessed that justified the statement that I just made was a rider, a bronc rider, who had been thrown from his horse, but somehow his hand had been stuck up on the saddle of the horse. And as the horse continued to buck, and this man, this rider, was no longer on the horse itself. He was being thrown up in the air and back down, up in the air and back down, all by his hand and wrist. But this was his choice. This is the choice that is made by every single participant in this sport. For the first few hours after I had made my way from the far end of the arena over to the near side, I had perched myself repeatedly on top of the chutes. This way I had a direct view of the horse as well as the rider as he mounted the horse and prepared to be launched out into the arena. This vantage point also gave me an opportunity to look at the horses, to study their behavior, and again, 
I was blown away because these horses knew exactly what they were doing. They were there as athletes. They were there to perform. It was over those several days from the day that I first met Bud in the parking lot of the utility building until the final day of the rodeo championships that formed a friendship that is as strong as any that I have ever had. In many ways, I consider Bud very much like my brother. In fact, Back on Memorial Day when I had the motorcycle accident and I broke so many bones, one of the first things that I wanted to do was to call Bud and say, Hey, Bud, guess what happened? Because I knew not only would he get it, but he would smile. And this friendship, this bond, was only able to happen because two people who at the time had very differing opinions about something that was important to them. They were able to set these opinions aside and respect the other's opinion enough to listen and to have a meaningful dialogue. And might I add, look at what came out of this. In fact, I have actually cut this story short. I've cut it very short. After our adventures out with the horses and at the rodeo, our adventures continued. Bud and I did so many things together. Every time I was in South Dakota, I would go and spend time with Bud, and the adventures were endless. Perhaps one day, in one of the podcast episodes, I'll tell you the story of being out with Bud tagging calves and being attacked by the mama cow. It's an experience that, even to this day, whether we talk about it when we're together or think about it separately, we will laugh until our bellies hurt and tears fill our eyes. Until next time, I want to thank you once again and most sincerely for spending this time with me and for allowing me to share with you another story from the world. Yes, just as a reminder, it's copyright 2020, and yes, all rights are indeed reserved. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.